International Translation Day honors the pivotal role that translators play in fostering global communication and understanding. On this day, we acknowledge the tireless efforts of linguists who bridge linguistic divides, allowing information and ideas to flow seamlessly across languages. International Translation Day also celebrates language diversity, reminding us of the richness and the beauty of the world's many languages. To help us celebrate, LCW's own Director of Translation Services, Maria Fergrilius, will guest host this special episode. She will be joined by two of her translator colleagues. Together, they'll discuss what goes into the translation process and how it's deeply intertwined with diversity and culture. Thank you so much for joining us today, Maria. Now, I'll turn it over to you. Could you give our audience a brief introduction of who you are and what you do at LCW? Thank you, Larry. I'm delighted to be here today celebrating this special occasion, International Translation Day. I am Maria, the Director of Translation Services at LCW. My role involves shaping and implementing LCW's localization strategy with a primary focus on providing comprehensive language solutions through our e-learning and multimedia services. Throughout my career, I have cultivated a deep passion for translation, localization, and cultural competence, a field that connects me with incredible language professionals. I'm here today with two of our amazing translators, Nora and Ricardo. Let's embark on this journey with them. Could you give us a brief introduction to who you are and what inspired you to become a translator? My name is Nora Diaz, and I'm an English to Spanish translator and conference interpreter. I first got interested in becoming a translator when I was a student in high school. And the reason, thinking back now, the reason was because our school principal came to our class one day and told us that he was a translator and told us about the work that he did. And I thought that was really cool. So I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. And that was my first, the, the first time that I thought I want to be a translator and an interpreter. So that's how I, I became interested in becoming a translator and an interpreter. My name is Ricardo Schifino. I'm an Italian translator, and um, I started in translation over almost 40 years ago. I started to study translation after high school um, at the School for Translators and Interpreters of the University of Trieste um, because a, a friend of mine suggested that since I knew English already well, I could try the entrance exam for uh, Trieste. I, I did try and I passed, so ever since I've been involved in, in translation some way uh, or another. Um, as a student first, then uh, as a freelancer, um, member of, a, of several translation, translation companies, um, of a department of translation in a software company, and now back in our own small company, and as a teacher of translation at the moment for New York University. Congratulations in the new position, Ricardo. Translation is often referred to as an art. 
how do you balance the creative aspects with the need for accuracy and faithfulness to the original text? Well, I've got to say that the translation that I do is mostly technical and medical, and there isn't that much room for creativity in those types of translations. Um, I have always found it, I have always found it amazing to see the kind of work that some of my colleagues do in literary translation and transcreation, for example, because those are two areas that I'm not, I don't consider myself particularly skilled at. But I have to say that I am very, very careful with technical translation and medical translation um, to make sure that there is faithfulness um, with the original text, that it reads as natural as possible and that it is accurate. Uh, when it comes to creativity, maybe in these areas of translation, that is restricted to making sure that we don't make the translation sound um, too stiff, you know, that it doesn't sound like or read like a translation. But um, I guess the, the key for me or where I see that things flow better is when I have taken the time to read texts that have been written originally in the source language and in the target language. And I'm always observing, I'm always, when I hear someone um, talk about something or when I read something that has not been translated but written in the source language, I'm always observing and looking at the way language is used. And I'm always making mental notes and sometimes I'm even making actual notes. I have a list of uh, things that I keep um, notes about on my phone when I observe something that I think is a particularly clever or creative use of language and in the hopes that I will be able to remember that when, whenever I may need to use it. Um, well, I think about more than an art. Um, translation, I would consider it more as a profession uh, and as a craft. And uh, so I would say that it's, it's useful to say it both as a profession and as a craft. And I think that balancing our creativity with need for accuracy and faithfulness is all about the craftsmanship, knowing um, your job inside out, uh, your source language, as well as your na native tongue, understanding the meaning of a source text and its original purpose and knowing the, knowing the tools that you have for your job and how to best to use them. Um, I think that really the primary tool that we have at our disposal is uh, our skills as writers, because the most important thing that uh, translators must remember is that, uh, first of all, we are writers. We write in our language something that has already been written by someone else in a different language. And at the, at the end, it's um, the quality of our writing that makes a good translator stand out uh, from the crowd and from new tools that uh, are out there now. I also would add to that to accuracy and faithfulness, something that I believe is just as important, that is making sure that your translation satisfies its purpose, which sometimes may be different from the purpose of the original uh, that you are, you are translating.
in a changing world with evolving language trends and technological innovation, how do you stay updated and adapt your translation skills? Or how do you see the role of human translators evolving in this context? Well, this is my favorite question uh, to talk about because um, technology is something that I really, really like. Innovation, trends, I'm always trying to stay on top of those. And how do I stay updated and how do I adapt my translation skills? Well, the way that I stay updated is I like to read as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I like to read technology magazines and blogs and articles. And for example, right now with AI and what's happening, I like to follow people on um, LinkedIn and Twitter, well now called X, um, people who are at the forefront of innovation and technology. And so I like to read about what's coming, what uh, is available already, and I like to try it out. So I'm what you would call an early adopter. I like to adopt technology early and um, assess whether it is useful for me or not. And I also like to think about the intersection between technology and human skills and how the skills that I have today need to change or adapt or evolve to use the technologies that are becoming available. And so the second part of the question is, how do you see the role of human translators evolving in this context? And I think um, human translators are by now very used to these technological innovations and uh, evolutions and even revolutions that we have lived through. And we find ourselves evolving and adapting all the time. So we find um, ourselves having to use new tools and new ways of doing things. But this is not something new for us. When I first started in translation, um, translation was done on typewriters. And then we had, of course, we evolved to computers, but then we had to either use um, a, a floppy disk, you know, to deliver our translations or Later on, we would fax them to our clients and then came email and now we have the cloud and we have servers and we have so many things. And every time we have had to adapt. So I think it's, it's a matter of um, a natural evolution where clients themselves are leading this transformation in a way because for me, at least, I do whatever the client asks me to do. So if the client says, deliver this um, as a printed document, I will print it out. I mean, I haven't done that in years now. But if the client says, upload your translation to this cloud service, I will do that. If they say, email it to me, I will do that. So usually it is the client who will be asking you to evolve with the times, you know, to change with the times. And I think that has been the case also with machine translation and now with AI, where some of my clients have said, well, if you want to use machine translation, that's fine. Other clients have said, do not use machine translation no matter what, and that's also fine. I will not use it. And then there are other clients who say, here is the pre-translated document. I pre-translated it with machine translation. 
and they still, um, you know, pay you your regular translation rates, but they have done that because they know that it's a tool that it's available and their content is such that it's, um, you know, suitable for machine translation and they're happy to do that. So I will adapt to whatever the client wants me to do. And for those cases where it is up to me, I will, um, you know, decide to use the tools that will lead to the best possible quality uh, while respecting confidentiality, of course, and all of that. But um, that's what these things are. They are tools to make our life easier, to make sure that we get there faster, maybe. And that's how I see all of these tools. Um, so how do I see the role of human translators evolving in this context? I think we have to stay informed and then make decisions about what we want to use and how we want to use those tools for the benefit of our clients, which is in the end, our main goal, I would say. Okay, well, um, if we're to talking about technical innovations rapidly in, in, in translation, I've, well, I'm old enough that I started translating using a typewriter. When I was a student, it was a mechanical typewriter. I up, upgraded it to an electronic typewriter when I started working. And then from there, it was uh, word processors, um, then a PC with word processing programs. And soon enough, about 30 years ago now, I started translating using CATOs. It was a one of the very earliest users of Kettos. I still have somewhere my diskettes of uh, Deja Vu with a serial number, I think it was 11 for me. Uh, so it's a long time ago. And uh, so I've lived through this evolution, this technical evolution. I would say that for technical translator, business translators, using technology has been uh something that we've learned to live with for 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 a long time it may be different for some people that translate i don't know fiction or literature and so on but not for us and um, one interesting aspect of the technology for translation is that for a very long time there was this promise of, okay, machine translation is going to, to arrive and is going to revolutionize the world of translation. And for a long time, it was not so. It was over there saying, okay, well, we can offer machine translation. And those companies that were offering machine translation were actually doing, I think, a disservice, not, not a good service for their customers. Recently, I would say only the last five to seven years, machine translation has come to be something actually useful. But I think that machine translation, even if it now is useful, uh, is useful in the hands of a professional, someone that already knows how to translate and that uses machine translation as one of the tools of a trade, not something that can be used by someone who is not a translator who does not know how to translate. And I would say the same is probably going to be um, true for artificial intelligence. Um, at the moment, I still consider it like a fad. Um, since they announced ChatGPT, what, about a year ago or something, 
uh, everybody is, oh, okay, um, uh, artificial intelligence here, artificial intelligence there. It's interesting. It's a bit different when working with machine translation. I'm not really sure yet whether it's going to, how is it going to be uh, used by translators? Um, we can already see some ancillary uses, like you can ask uh, uh, artificial intelligence to create a glossary for you. Um, if you know about the subject matter of that glossary, you can use it. If not, uh, you have to pay very much attention. And we'll see how it is going to evolve. I think that it's promising, but uh, it's also the use of artificial intelligence in translation. I think it's something that will be better left to professional translators. Absolutely. I also been in the localization industry for a long time and I witnessed this evolution. I agree. These tools are designed to assess and streamline our work. Um, Cross-cultural nuances and context play a crucial role in translation. How do you ensure that your translations are culturally sensitive and inclusive, especially when dealing with texts from diverse backgrounds? Yes, um, well, this is the kind of translation that actually we do for you very all, all the time. So um, I say it is a, something that is really very important and uh, you know, for us, for those of us um, who translate from English into Romance languages or other languages for that matter, it's it's an interesting challenge because in English it's fairly easy. You you say, okay, well, they, there, and them are singular. We can use them as singular. There is a long history of using them as singular, and basically we. We are done. Okay, we can no longer say fireman, we say fire person or whatever, and uh, we are inclusive. For Italian, for Spanish, for other languages, it's a lot more difficult because basically every noun, every adjective has gender, and we've got to decide how to deal with that. And at the moment, for Italian, I know that there are differences with even between the different uh, Romance languages. For Italian, is a very shifting bank, uh, landscape. Um, you can, some of the solutions are, okay, you do it by repeating things in the masculine and in the feminine, which is is okay, but start, the, the text tends to, to, to get heavy very soon because you started to say, Tutti traduttori e tutte le traduttrici, all the translators, male, all the translator, female, and so on, and everything like that. Or when you are writing translation, you could kind of use shortcuts and say, okay, tutti traduttori slash ichi, but that um, creates its own problems because it's maybe more inclusive gender wise, but uh, tends to exclude people that cannot read what you printed, but that rely on audio tools to, uh, from, uh, you know, from text to speech, because all those slashes are going to create havoc with understanding what you're saying. And um, so at the moment, I think it's, 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 it's a language in flux and um, solutions are still tentative. I say that the most important thing 
is that as translator we think about it and what we do not accept that everything is okay well you know it used to be okay well you we use the masculine even for everything and okay no that's not no longer an acceptable answer but it's a question of you know restructuring your writing in a way that uh, is more inclusive and i think that there are going to be as many solutions as there are good translators well this is one area where technology has been super helpful because in the past, when it came to cross-cultural nuances, uh, you would have to rely completely on having the right resources, maybe the right books to go and um, look things up in, or having the right contacts where, for example, if I was doing something that was um, written in, um, I don't know, in a country that I, I wasn't familiar with, I would have to know someone from the country to help me understand. Today with technology, if you know how to do your research, it's a lot easier um, to do that. And I have been validating some of this with um, AI resources recently, where if you go to, the, to an AI, to a large language model, and you say, um, can you have a look at this text and tell tell me if there are any uh, regionalisms in this text and where they are from and what the neutral term is. For example, in the case of Spanish, sometimes we are asked to translate into neutral Spanish. So we can ask the AI to help us identify any regionalisms um, so that we are more um, neutral and the AI will do that for us and it will help us identify that. And of course we have to still double check it, but it makes things go a lot faster. Um, so that's that's one area. Um, so texts from diverse backgrounds, I think the thing is we have to question everything. And that's something that we have learned as translators. Question everything. Don't simply assume that you understand everything and, and don't just translate, you know, superficially, but really, really understand what um, what it is that you are translating before you start translating it. And this um, makes me think of, of uh, one of the seven habits of highly effective people. You may be familiar with that book by Stephen Covey. And I really like the habit, I think it's habit five, that says seek first to understand and then to be understood. And I think that is um, at the core of what it means to be a translator and an interpreter. First, you have to understand what it is that you're reading and what you're supposed to be translating before you attempt to translate it. So that's, um, that's I think, crucial for us. Language carries a cultural identity. Um, how do you approach translating texts that are deeply rooted in cultural references and context? Well, I think I may have answered this question with my previous answer. Um, deeply rooted in cultural references and contexts, that is probably one of the hardest things, especially when we are not familiar with the with cultural references and contexts. And I have to say that networking is also very important here, having a wide and strong network of colleagues that you can work with. 
um, I've had many colleagues reach out to me and say, hey, what does this mean in Mexico? Because I'm translating something that is the, that has come out of Mexico and I'm not sure um, I'm understanding it correctly. And I'm always happy to help. So I think that's, that's important. Um, there is also, of course, the all important um, communication with the client. And I find that the clients that I enjoy working with the most are the ones who say, if you have any questions, ask. And you reach out to the, um, the PM or to someone um, at the client's office and say, I don't understand. I'm not entirely sure I know what this means. Um, and they will get back to you and say, oh, this is what this means. Because um, I have to say, it's not only cultural references or contexts are not only exclusive to, let's say, a specific country, but uh, I do a lot of corporate communications as well. And sometimes those cultural references or contexts may be um, applicable to a company, you know, where they use a phrase to refer to something internally. And you need to understand that. But I think the, the worst thing that can happen is for the translator to assume that they know what, uh, what something means without asking. So it's always better to ask, I think. Communication is key, always. I think that uh, that is the, what makes translation interesting, really. And the answer could, could be, could vary really depending on the purpose of your translation. For commercial text um, and things like that, often the solution and what the customer requires is that you actually gloss over, you try to erase these cultural differences and you translate uh, in um, as if you were writing an article or a manual or whatever directly in your own language so that it doesn't feel translated. But in some other, and that may means, mean things like, okay, uh, someone uses a sports metaphor as is often done here in the States. Uh, and in the States, it would be probably something like a football metaphor or a baseball metaphor, uh, you know something coming out of a left field or uh, a hail mail pass, something like that. And you use a different metaphor, maybe also sports metaphor, but from soccer or some other sport that uh, an Italian could relate to. Um, that, of course, means you are actually erasing these cultural differences in, that, in this example. But in other instances, it's actually what you want. You want to, you want to show that your text comes from a specific culture, a specific um, even time in history, something like that. And you want to convey that by be as faithful as possible to the image of uh, uh, what's going on in the source language. And um, there was something that actually stuck to to, to me because uh, Umberto Eco once said, okay, well, you know, you translate that someone is taking a coffee, but the image that comes to the mind of an Italian and the image that comes to the mind of, a, of an American are going to be different because the Italian is going to think about an espresso in a small cup and the American is going to, to think about drink coffee in a mug. So how do you make sure that you're going to 
convey the cultural meaning. And it may be that Vitalian has written Prendersi un café and you translate it as to drink an espresso because it shows that it is the Italian version of coffee, not just any any kind of, of coffee. Yeah, the world... Just to give you an, a very simple example. Yeah, it's, it, well, it gives you that image, right, that you were talking about. Um, and for me, it might be different coming from Spain. So um, definitely. And the world, you know, now becomes more interconnected. So the demand for translation services grows. So how can the translation industry actively promote diversity and inclusion among its professionals? That is such an important question. Um, I think it has to come from two different places. The first one is, you know, putting out the idea that there is talent everywhere and people are, people are talented and are able to do a great job um, regardless of whether they come from a big country or a small country or, you know, regardless of, of um, whatever their circumstances are. And I think the focus should be then on talent, the ability to provide great uh, translations. And uh, how can diversity and inclusion be promoted by making it easy? for uh, people of all backgrounds to join the translation industry and to raise their hand and say, here I am and I'm ready to provide a great service. And if I don't have the same opportunities, because I think this, this, this may be something that, that is key here, depending on where you are, um, you may have different opportunities for education and for joining the market than if you are at a more privileged location. So making it easy for people to join the industry, um, you know, interviewing or or considering um, CVs and resumes regarding regardless of whether there is a big name university on, on your resume uh, could make a difference. And so that's, that's on the side of the language industry. But I think, um, I don't want to say minorities, but I want to say people from, from where there are fewer, uh, fewer professionals already in the industry should also maybe step up and say, well, here we are and we are ready to provide a great service. Um, so I think it's it's uh, twofold. I mean, it's it's the language industry providing the opportunities and um, you know the learning and education and growth for everyone, but also people being willing to say, "I want to do this," because the stage could be set for everyone to join the industry, but if people don't really take that first step to do that, then it's um, it's never going to happen, right? Because maybe the industry is set up for diversity and inclusion, but if those who need to be included and those who are diverse don't um, raise their hand and say, here I am, then it's impossible to have them join. So I would say, you know, regardless of whether you have been in the industry for, for if you're just starting out or you've been here for many years, um, you know, or, or 
what your background is, don't be intimidated and don't feel like your voice does not matter. It does matter. So put yourself out there. I don't really like the advice of telling young people to, you know, to be very quiet and very um, just waiting there for someone to discover you. I think you have to put yourself out there and say, this is what I'm doing and be very active on social media in the right way. And, um, you know, reach out, follow the advice of great people who are in this industry telling you what the steps are that you should take to put yourself out there. And you will eventually find the right match with the light, the right um, language service providers to, um, to give you great um, development and growth opportunities and for you to provide a great service. So I think it's kind of that, um, you know, a two-sided kind of approach, I, I would say. And I am always very, very grateful when I find a great match. I really enjoy working with LSPs and not every LSP is a great match um, for me for a number of reasons. I mean, some of them are wonderful, but it's not the right, the right kind of dynamic sometimes for me. But um, I love it when I find the right match because it feels like family almost. And um, some LSPs I have been working with for years and years and years, and it feels as wonderful as ever. And I enjoy it tremendously. And I have to say, it all comes down to the people. I think that's also important to be said. Um, people really do make a difference. So finding someone that you click with is, um, is important. And um, having an LSB or someone in the language industry who is thinking about diversity and inclusion is always the first step. Well, I think that as a profession, the language industry is, I would say, already one of the most inclusive and diverse. Uh, all of us um, speak at least two languages, by definition, if we're in the language industry, and many of us, quite, quite a few more than that. Um, it is already a profession that is um, mostly um, dominated by women. Um, most, I, I remember when I was at university, I tried for a term studying geology, and that was all the students were male apart for a couple a couple of girls. And then I switched to school interpreters, interpreters and translators school in Trieste, and there were just four of us uh, among, uh, I don't remember, 40, 40 or 50, 50 women in, in the class. So it was, and, and as a, has been like that all the time because most translators, most interpreters are women. So there is already diversity in that in that sense. Cultural diversity, of course, uh, all of us have to deal with at least two cultures all the time as we, as we work. Many of us, uh, like us, um, transplanted into different countries. So we also work and in in a different culture already in in, in the in the country of a different culture so i would say um we promote diversity inclusion among uh, in, in our profession by 
continuing to do what we do already, but also I would say by thinking about how do we ensure that we really are an inclusive profession. And uh, I think it's, it's a question of actually thinking about whether we are inclusive or not. And the, what we were saying before, you know, the switch between uh, to a more gender inclusive language is some something that we also have to consider. It used to be that, okay, well, you can use the male as a normal. If there is a group of uh, 10 women and one male in Italian used to be, okay, you have to use the masculine for the group. Now we have to really think about what you, you want to, to do with that. So I think it, it is not to reject things like, okay, when I was in school, they taught it that way, so I'm going to, to stick it to the old day, old ways of doing things and thinking about how language our, our cultures evolve. As we draw this special episode to close, thank you both so much for being here with us. And happy International Translation Day to everyone. You're welcome. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being, being with you here. Thank you very much for having me on this podcast and happy Translation Day for everyone. Happy International Translation Day. And thank you so much, Maria, for um, inviting me to be here.